Hi and welcome everyone to the 66th episode of CM Rocks. This is Marcus Allanson and today's podcast will be about development and debugging and deployment. And with me today I have Jonas Rapp from Avenade. Jonas is a Microsoft Dynamics 365 developer since 2009 and a XRM toolbox contributor with FixXML Builder, Plugin Trace Viewer, Auto Number Manager under his belt. He also created shuffle-based tools for Microsoft Dynamics 365 DevOps. Welcome back, Jonas Rapp. Thanks, Marcus. Good to be back on your show. How are you doing today? It's great, actually. I'm uh, getting back from vacation, starting to work again, and uh, just began my new employment so I'm, I'm being the rookie all over again yeah how's that well it's uh, interesting and scary at the same time i'm uh, very pumped to to start all my new tasks at the at this new place as it should be <laughs> as it should be of course <laughs> crm is all about managing a customer relationship so what is a good customer relationship to you well, that's uh, all we're doing. It's business. It's nothing with good relationships being best buddies or trying to save the world. Uh, I mean, customers are there. They want to problem solve them. They want it at a reasonable price. And as a vendor, well, I want to make money. And uh, I want to do it by making customers happy to pay me that money and uh, happy to come back to me after that. So, I mean, it's a give and take and uh, you all have to find the balance in the relationship. That's probably the most honest response I've gotten so far. <laughs> well, we're all in it for the money, aren't we? <laughs> Who are your customer? Well, usually, and since uh, quite a few years, my primary customer has actually been uh, my colleagues. I'm working a lot with development tools and frameworks and methodologies on how to be make it possible to deliver with high quality, make it uh, well, it's more streamlined lined work that we do and uh, really, really making the deliveries perform better. So what is it that you do? Well, like I said, I, I try to be an enabler for uh, our project to make sure they have what they need to be able to deliver on time and deliver with quality. And that can involve creating tools, just like the XRM toolbox tools you mentioned. And it can also be uh, defining the, uh, the project pipeline, so to say, on how to perform customizations, uh, how to build the, the solutions and uh, how to deliver them. So we're customers all the time. So what is your last memorable customer experience? Well, unfortunately, it's not the best experience. And this is really a case where they could use our services. Um, I, last week, I attended the Business Application Summit in Seattle. And uh, when I checked out there, I paid this huge bill that you always pay on these hotels. And they didn't give me a paper receipt. I like that. I mean, I mean, uh, I, it's good for the environment and so on. So I gave them my email address and the receipt should be there in my mailbox within an hour or so. And it wasn't there. And then I went in a couple of days later on their website. I filled in a form saying I'm missing my receipt. Nothing happened. I called their customer service and I gave them my email again. Nothing happened. Well, today, finally, I got hold of someone who could actually help me, and uh, I didn't hang up until I had the email in my mailbox. So this uh, hotel, they uh, sure could need some uh, customer relationship improvement. That's always a hassle. So if I'm thinking as a consultant or a developer here, and, and I'm 
and I'm developing for CRM then and I want to upgrade my development. If I'm starting out and I'm just using a source control for, for versioning my file system, like my JavaScript files and my C-sharp files for my plugin or other development, and I'm using the, the, the user interface for the JavaScript upload of files and the plugin registration tools for registering my my plugins how can i improve my development well you should do that uh, the way you described it it's time to update your processes um, i mean we all started there especially when you're working with these web resources you click open the web resource you click browse or you copy paste the content and you save it and publish it and refreshes the page and everything uh, that that's not worthy efficient developers to work that way so i see there are a few different options. Of course, the the one that's the closest at hand if we're talking web resources is using the web resource manager in XRM toolbox. It's um, more or less the same development experience uh, as, well, speaking about the editor as the, you have in Visual Studio, but you still have the solution awareness, you have the CRM awareness, so you can very much easier just upload it when you're done and publish there and uh, work with it that way. Um, Another option is don't upload it at all, but instead you have the file on your disk and you use Fiddler to hijack the requests. And uh, instead of CRM getting the file from the server, you get it from your disk. So that way you can debug it and uh, work with it really efficiently without even uploading it to CRM. So that's using Fiddler and the imposter plugin to Fiddler, is that it? It probably is. I actually haven't used it, but I've uh, been yearning to learn how to do it. I've tried it a couple of times and it's a little bit of a hassle because CRM changes the base URL every time you sort of deploy a new web resource. So the base URL, you have to shift it a little bit, but otherwise it's pretty good. Yeah, so I've heard from my colleagues and I've watched in awe as they do their debugging. Um, but there are other options as well. I mean, Web Resource Manager and keeping the files local are, are two options. Um, to have a bit more automated experience, you can use the, there are a few different extensions for Visual Studio where you can actually upload the files to CRM from within Visual Studio, just right click the file and say upload. Uh, these work more or less good. And do we know that the official one from Microsoft still only supports Visual Studio 2015? But I've, I've heard there's a new team working with developer uh, resources in Microsoft. So uh, we're crossing our fingers that they will release something uh, in the near future. Uh, or you can automate it even more uh, where you actually code your metadata of which uh, uh, web resources you want in your solution. Um, I think the, the best way to do that is using Sparkle XRM from, for, from Scott Duro. Um, then you use, it uses PowerShell and you sort of create your JSON specification of how the files are to be uploaded. And this also supports, I guess, uh, even the Visual Studio extensions, they support uh, plugins and plugin registrations, uh, the steps and the images and everything as well. So I would really encourage you to go that way too to have a better control of, uh, of your environment, of your uh, registrations in CRM. But you know, one of these days when you are working with your web resources, you uh, happen to click the wrong file and upload it and everything breaks. So 
having the control of a coded metadata that's uh, a lot better. So you do it once, you check in that this file is connected to this CRM form script and you you always have that link and you only do it once and then then that's set and you cannot really make a, a big difference or, or break it as easily then. Exactly. And uh, if we're talking the Sparkle XRM, then you can use that from your command line or from within Visual Studio, but you can also uh, include it in your automated builds so that the same exact same procedures are performed during automation of the builds. Okay, so do you feel that this improves your productivity versus having that go to the CRM user interface, upload a file, save, publish, and then refresh? Well, uh, <laughs> that's a sort of rhetorical question. Yes, of course, it improves my productivity because I don't have to do all these clicks. And uh, But above all, it improves the quality since you have a lot better control of what you're doing. You, there is no risk of clicking the wrong file or creating a, a plugin step with too many filtered attributes or something like that. So you have it coded and then uh, and, and code is good. We like code. Yeah, and, and you can sort of read it and see who changed it when and all of that history so that the customization part of that, if you're going to the plugin, that is also under source control then. Absolutely. And that's a very good point, Marcus. I mean, when you do, when you change customizations, you don't get that audited. I know I've heard there's something coming so you can audit the customization changes as well, but it's not there yet. And it's definitely not enough. Uh, if you have it in code, you check it in, your version control, everything, then you can actually know who to blame when something screws up. Oh yeah, you were thinking about customizations in CRM then. I was thinking more about the steps and the registrations within plugin registration tools. Well, but that, yes, of course. That is customization in CRM. It's that just that there's no UI in the CRM web platform to do it, but it's customization that you perform through an app since the only way to do it is by using the SDK messages. So you can use either the plugin registration tool or you can use any custom developed tool to do it as well. So, but yes, it's part of the customization. So just as you would change the layout of a form, you can you change the attributes of a plugin step. So, so it, it's all customizations and uh, we need control of it. So how do you work with the customizations of the forms and the, and the, perhaps the ribbons and all of that then? Do you check that into under any version control or, or anything like that? Yeah, usually, I mean, working with them is unfortunately, or I don't know if it's unfortunately, but it's the old classic way. You update the forms using the form editor in the CRM web UI. Um, but yes, when we're building or after a change, when we're committing changes, export the solution, unpack it just the way that uh, Microsoft suggests, use this solution packager to unpack it and check in the individual files that have been changed. Um, I, there could be a risk in that as well, unless you're really sure what you're doing. If you're checking in only the form, when you have uh, worked in a form and from the form added, added a new attribute as well. I think you've only been working in the form, but actually the entity attribute set has been changed as well. So you, you really have to know what you're doing there. Make sure you check in the, all the 
these exploded XML files from the solution packager. Yeah, so so the package, the solution packager, sorry, and uh, that's a tool that takes the sort of points to a solution file and extracts or or separates all out the parts of the solution so it's more easily managed for a version control like VSTS or something like that. So you get the form, that's just the form. And then you get the, I don't know, the entity definition with all the attributes and all of that. Mm -hmm. And that's a separate file and all of that. Exactly. And uh, it's really good when you want to sort of trace what has happened in a system, but uh, it requires some structure as well that you to make sure that you export the solutions and that you actually perform this unpacking and, uh, and committing the change files. Uh, but if you do that in a structured way, then you can really follow what has happened uh, in a CRM environment. And you can also, of course, use it the way, uh, for instance, Sean MacArthur at Microsoft, who is responsible of the solution platform now, uh, the way he suggests and the way he did uh, many years ago also when he was at ADX Studio, to also use the solution packager to pack uh, the, the solution files, to create it from all these individual uh, atomic XML files you use the solution packager to pack it into a new solution zip file, and uh, and that's the deliverable. That's the file that you actually ship. In my case, we haven't been doing it that way. Uh, maybe it's just mistrusting the all this my colleagues or the procedure of knowing exactly which files to to commit. And uh, well, there could be dependency issues, but uh, if you have uh, full control of your of your procedures, then it shouldn't be a problem, and you should definitely follow change advice. All right. So, so let's say that the change is that you're adding a button to the to the command bar, and then you have some script file to go with that. Do you usually check that in in the same change? So you have a set where there is the change on the form, perhaps some added some attributes, and then the code in one sort of change set then? Well, from my perspective, keep your commits clean so that you know that in the history between each commit, you have a working version there. Okay, so if I'm improving, so I just don't have the files uh, under version control, but I also has a tool to help me upload my plugins and, and JavaScript files and and then I have these customizations under version control also. So what is the next step then? Uh, I'd say the next step would be to make sure you automate your build process because you can all do all this that we've been talking about manually. You you do the export of the solutions, you run a solution packager and you probably have a PowerShell, PowerShell file or even a command file that does it for you with the correct parameters. But, but it's still manual and it requires a person to do this. Um, to get to the next step, step uh, you would create a uh, build pipeline in uh, VSTS or whatever build engine you're using um, to automate all of this, export the solutions, or, or rather start with compile everything, minify JavaScripts, compile TypeScript and uh, plugin assemblies and so on, update them in the... Uh, the dev environment or the source environment and uh, then export the solutions or you can do it uh, the other way around if you're following the Sean MacArthur way and uh, you compile it and replace the files that you have in your 
the file structure, which is the, the unpacked solution files, and then repack it from there and make sure you have the solutions as, um, as the artifacts that's a result of the build. So I'm not sure I, I, I realize what you're telling me here. So I, I, if I am developing and I'm putting the things on the development environments, so this build process will then help me to get the files to the test environment or what you're referring to? Well, they can. That's the next step. The first thing here is only creating the artifact, which is the thing we're delivering. And the thing we're delivering usually is a solution file or multiple solution files, and it could be data to be imported by some uh, data import tool as well as configuration data. Uh, but the, this thing I mentioned now, that's just compiling this artifact of what you will deliver. And the target for the delivery could, of course, be a test environment. It could be some sort of alpha or canary environment where you just try the import, make sure that it works to deploy it. It could be um, any UAT or anything where you have actual users going in and testing the system. And, and the same artifact is then used usually also for what you're actually delivering to a production environment. Okay, so then what are you using for creating those artifacts then? Um, well, we use we used to not have any help at all, uh, but then along came I think Whale Hands. was the first to actually create uh, VSTS build steps or build tasks that you could add to export solution. That's one task. Another task could be to to pack the solution file to be able to deliver it. So so you're actually using the the build pipeline in VSTS in my case. And, uh, and export that uh, the build pipeline connects to the CRM environment, updates web resources, etc., export solution, and then you get that solution as an artifact to that build. Okay, so out of this, you get a solution and probably some other data because you probably have some data in some config files or other things that you want to make sure are there when you deploy it. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. You got it. Do you have any recommendations on on the tools then? You mentioned that someone did it a long time ago, but do you use that tool today? Um, yes, what I mentioned is Weil Hamsey, who is a Microsoft MVP and business applications, has created this, this tool set for Visual Studio Team Services build and release uh, system. So you can find it on the marketplace for VSTS. Just search for XRM. Well, XRM is probably enough. There are not too many hits, but it's called XRM CI framework. Uh, and okay. then you just select that and it's free to you. So you install it in the VSTS tenant that you have access to. And uh, then you can start adding these uh, steps to your build pipeline. There's also, uh, of course, I have to mention the one I created myself uh, that's uh, published by Infactor, which is called uh, Infactor DevOps for Microsoft Dynamics 365. Um, it's similar to Whalehams' stuff, but uh, works a bit differently. Primarily, it has is using this tool we created called the Shuffle to export and import both uh, solutions and uh, data in a very 
complex manner actually or not complex but a very capable manner that's uh, semi-complex to configure okay so so this will be the deliverables to my test and to the production environments and all of the other environments then do you usually go with managed or unmanaged or how do you think about that from the solution perspective in this case i'm a very good boy following microsoft's advice and have been since 2011 when we actually could export managed we are always shipping managed um, or we have been now i'm at a, a new place so we'll see what they're doing but uh, i definitely recommend that go managed especially the way the platform is going now with the CDS and the Power Platform. Uh, we want to stay managed because we don't want to do things in the unmanaged layer in test and production environments. It will put you in trouble. Um, so I strongly suggest, I mean, I know a lot of people out there are very reluctant to use managed solutions because of dependency problems and so on. But, um, well, you need to shape up learning how it works and uh, start doing it. Okay, then. So what's the next next step? Is that test or uh, what's the next step for me? Yeah, I would say if you're working in VSTS, there's a distinct uh, difference between the build pipeline and the release pipeline to different environments. So there are three, three words there. It's build, release, and uh, environments. And the release, to create the release, you define which artifacts am I interested in. And it could be um, artifacts from several different builds. For instance, if you have sort of a base toolkit that you always want to install before you add the customer solution, or if you have uh, modules that you build your customer solutions upon, then you want to get the artifacts from all these different builds. So the release you define, these are the builds I'm interested in, or the builds I, the artifacts of the builds that I need. And then you specify uh, different environments. And uh, the first environment would, uh, would be what I've been doing is just to make sure that I have a copy of the solution files. I can look at them, investigate them. I have uh, usually created an environment that's basically our FTP server or a network share or something that takes all the artifacts and puts them there so for manual inspection, if so, that's necessary. But then you would have a canary environment just to test that well, the solutions are possible to import, the data could be imported and whatever actions you might want to take on the target environment during a deployment. So to automate always after when a build is done, put the files on an FTP or network share and deploy it to a canary environment. And then you can also add, uh, well, of course, test environments for automated testing, uh, UAT, uh, all, all kinds of test environments that you want and even production environments. But for those environments, I'd recommend to, that you don't have it automated so it automatically deploys there. You might want to have a look at this canary environment first. Did, it, did everything break or does it seem to work okay? So you have a gated deployment either by kicking it in manually completely or by getting approval from some deployment responsible where you get an email saying you want to deploy or not, reject or approve. Um, that, that would be the basic scenario. Okay, so the other build process that we talked about earlier, that's sort of for every check-in, we do these steps. And the release pipeline, that's more like, okay, now it's the time. Now let's do it. Yes, could be that way. But I, I think also, I mean, since builds tend to take some time, physical, it takes time. 
um, exporting solutions and uh, publishing customizations and everything. So you don't, you probably don't want to kick in a build for each and every commit to the to the source control, um, but rather, okay, every Friday we do a build, or even manually when there's a sprint end or mid sprint build or something like that. So that then you do those. But if we're talking, uh, remember what you said about checking in these atomic uh, XML files from the solution. Well, that has to be done. You have to have a process for the developer to be able to do that when he has done changes. And it doesn't matter if you have a central development environment or individual for each developer. You need to do that as you check in and commit your changes to code or to whatever you've done. You should also do it with any customizations that have been changed. Okay. Yeah, that's good. So moving on here, is the next part testing or, or do you feel that the bugging is before that? Um, well, no, testing come for, comes first. I mean, if the tests work, there's uh, less uh, risk of having to do any debugging. So you don't, there's no need to start debugging on if you don't haven't seen anything fail. Um, True. So, and testing, of course, comes in many forms and shapes. Uh, Unit testing for should be performed during build so that it fails if there are any obvious errors in the uh, leaf methods of the code. Um, and then we had just been starting working with uh, Selenium and Easy Repro and including that in the build pipeline. I, I know there are a lot of people looking into this and uh, it's really efficient. So you actually get, well, the build agent is uh, acting a user clicking around in the system, but that's also very time consuming because we all know, I'm sorry, Microsoft, but CRM is slow. Um, I know Matt Barber will hit me next time I see him, um, but it is slow, especially if you want to automate something and you cannot really know when a form load has been done. And so you have to add three seconds extra wait before opening a record, before you can change some information in a field. But it's really powerful. And I really encourage everyone to start using that because it, it can take away so many of these stupid errors that uh, just happen to sneak in in the middle of a development process. And uh, if the builds run at night, well, no one cares that it takes time. So look into that. That's a really strong suggestion. So do you do any, add any tests like unit tests to your code? Well, I'm very slow catching on to this, but yes, I've started doing that. When you write a function or a feature, then add unit tests just to make sure that it uh, it works and comes through. Um, and the, it's, I mean, we want to catch all the bugs as early as possible in the process. And if it's caught, when I press F6 in Visual Studio to compile it, that's the earliest uh, stage, and that's really good. Um, but it will also be caught during automated builds and so on, because you always perform the test during the build process as well. So, yeah, unit tests should be there. If we get a report or something like that, how do you work with the bugging that and see where the exceptions or the errors lie? There are... Of course, I think three very different scenarios. Uh, it could be in the client, some JavaScript failing. It could be in the plugins, uh, some C-sharp code failing, or it could be in some external service where you have uh, Azure integration of some kind. Uh, and those, of course, require quite different approaches to debugging. Um, but if we're starting with, with what is closest to my heart uh, is plugin debugging or 
workflows where you have custom uh, workflow uh, uh, activities. Uh, that's when you use the plugin trace log. I, I could not live without that. And you really have to make sure that all code you write uses a framework of some kind so that you always get things written to the plugin trace log. It helps so immensely. And I mean, when we used to have uh, on-premise environments, you could attach to the process and stop everything for everyone in that, uh, using that organization. Um, now, usually we cannot do that either because we are mostly online. So the only way to do it is to, is to trace. Unless, of course, there are options of doing it using plugin registration and uh, adding the, the plugin profiler solution there and doing it that way. Um, it's very rare that I have to do that. Usually it's enough to, to make sure my code is logging enough to the plugin trace log. Uh, well, well, that's my approach for, for plugins, at least. Uh, web resources, JavaScript, debugging, that's, that's not really my primary focus on what I do day to day. But, um, well, you do F12 in the browser, of course, and uh, start stepping in there. And, uh, they're very easy, but um, sort of intrusive way of making sure you can uh, step the code is add a debugger statement in the code and uh, updating the web resource in the environment might not be possible in production. You could do it in test, but you really shouldn't. But uh, you do that to get it to, to be able to step and see what happens. And uh, well, I won't even go into if you're using Azure Functions and uh, and uh, integration scenarios like that, because that's a whole different story. <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, do you have any tools to help you get a good trace log? Well, that was a nice uh, sort of uh, invite for me to talk. Well, I have the plugin trace viewer for external toolbox to view it at least, and then um, different frameworks or helper classes to to make sure that my plugins inherit. They don't implement the I plugin interface from the SDK, but they inherit some, some plugin-based class uh, that uh, I have developed or someone else has developed. There are lots of different uh, open source versions of this out there um, to make sure that, well, usually at first when the plugin fires, you dump a lot of information about the context, why did it fire to this trace log? And then for each statement, you can add the logging and timing and uh, things like that. So I use that. And uh, another approach, if you just want to see what actually happened now, is that you can uh, install a solution or add a plugin that doesn't do anything but uh, react to messages. So on update of account, uh, always dump everything in a context to, to the plugin trace just to sort of be uh, contrast fluid, you know, when you're doing an X-ray to see what is happening in the system. And you can register it for all entities for update messages so to see everything that happens. You you should use that with care though, because if you register it on uh, all entities, it will uh, work pretty fast when the system is under heavy load and uh, create lots of plug and trace log entries. Uh, but you can also limit it to, to only log during exception, which will not make this plugin actually do anything, but um, it, it's a good way to, to get this, hmm, what is happening? Where, what's happening with this pipeline? Someone updated an account, why is it firing for an opportunity all of a sudden? So then you can get hints of 
which plugins that might be firing that you didn't want to fire and so on. Okay, so you're not sure exactly what's happening. Something perhaps is firing twice and you're not sure why why you get yeah, your plugin trace yeah, that's, twice. That's and... actually, uh, it's so stupid how common that scenario is. That you see, why is this record? I save it once and you get five update requests to the server and you wonder why the system is slow. Um, it's so common that uh, plugins are registered with too many attributes as filtering attributes or all attributes for that sake. And you get recursion and uh, you have registered the plugins uh, post-operation with an update instead of uh, when it could have been possible to use a pre-operation and simply decorate the entity in the, in the context. So th there are so many ways to go wrong in this way. So having this uh, contrast fluid uh, plugin or, or Canary plugin that I blogged about uh, some year ago uh, to let you know hmm, what is really happening in the system. That that could be quite good hints when uh, weird things are happening. Sometimes I just start the audit on the development environment to make sure that I don't have any side effects like this because <laughs> you're not quite sure if you messed something up and and you just want to make sure that the audit trails looks good yeah no that's absolutely a way of sort of getting the helicopter view of how the system is behaving because suddenly you recognize that all fields have been changed to the same state again and you're like what mm -hmm. no no don't do that absolutely i actually just recently read about a tip there that you have in probably in your base class for your plugins uh, have a sort of a proxy update method so that it checks the before state and the after state and removes all attributes from the update entity that haven't changed. So that's another problem that's very common. You get an entity from the context, you add an attribute and you save it, but all you really wanted to do was change that single attribute or you retrieve an entity with five attributes, want to change a sixth attribute, so you add that and save. And what happens is that while well, all these six attributes appear to have been changed, even though the values didn't uh, change. So looking at this and making sure that you don't update attributes to the same value they already had, that's, uh, that's a very good way of making sure your code isn't over over consuming resources yeah i mean otherwise the people will start blaming the system that crm is slow <laughs> i don't know where have you heard that sorry <laughs> i don't know uh, i've been to situations where you you start the audit and uh, yeah there it is mm -hmm. the reason for crm to be slow everything is changing from what it was to what it, <laughs> to, what it yeah, was. to the same value again <laughs> yeah. Or, or yeah, the same value again, mm. and it's just one one single field change, and it's like a count or something where there's hundreds mm -hmm. of. Uh, and usually, uh, there's uh, a developer behind that should be ashamed of themselves. Yeah, of course there is. All right, so if we try to to look forward here, then what's the what's the the future as you can see for CRM development then? Um, primarily two different areas. I really say that when you are upgrading your system, when you're going online, if you weren't already, uh, look at the, uh, the modern-driven apps. Model-driven apps is really the way we want to go forward and use the unified interface, get rid of the old web interface, 
uh, it looks so much better and it's uh, so much easier to make to customize the, the view of the system for the users to make it less cluttered with information you don't need and with navigation that really doesn't always help that much. So work with the model-driven apps. Uh, well, Canvas apps, the small uh, pixel-perfect apps that Microsoft are promoting now, well, they might be good in some cases when you have very task-focused uh, small applications, but uh, primarily look at the model-driven apps. And then from a more platform perspective, it is a clear tendency that we see that we will move more and more towards uh, Azure integration of the Dynamics platform. So maybe one day plugins won't be plugins uh, the way we know them. They will be uh, just Azure functions or something similar. And uh, I think you, we all know or have the feeling that the old workflow engine, well, and the workflow designer that's not been updated since uh, CRM, was it four, three, something? Yeah, something like that. Well, that's, that's been old. Yeah, and there, there's probably a reason for not updating that as well, since it's uh, Microsoft sees an end uh, to, to that uh, whole feature set, and it will move uh, probably to flows integrated with Dynamics in a more uh, solution-aware way. And uh, for more advanced, we'll use, uh, well, develop logic apps instead. So, so I'd say those are the things to get to know these things. You will want to know them when, well, maybe after the October release already. Okay, so you don't have any real recommendations right now to go and explore how you can extend flows or use Azure functions right now? Then? Yes, absolutely. I mean, start now. Uh, but there is a big update coming in, coming in October and that will probably move even more towards uh, well, not deprecating, but uh, certainly promoting using flows and uh, Azure-based uh, functions instead of what we know as the old classic CRM features. Okay. They're quite brave to actually name it October since the last, was it like uh, the version 9 that was took a pretty long time to get the June release out the door? Yeah, it came in October. So they learned from that mistake. No, uh, I think, yeah, that's brave. But uh, I mean, James Phillips has promised us over and over that this will be a Swiss train now. And the, the big releases are coming October and they're coming April. And so they committed quite a lot to that. What I really think is brave is uh, releasing the release notes three months ahead and saying this will be in the platform come October. That's the brave part. Yeah, it is. So uh, you've uh, you've noticed that they're out now? Absolutely. They were officially released during Business Application Summit on uh, a week ago, exactly, as we're recording this in the end of July. Oh, that's nice. I will have to add that to the show notes then so everyone can read it and explore the, the new features then because I, I, I'm I on vacation and managed to miss all of that. <laughs> Good for you. So for your next episode, maybe you should give an abstract of those uh, uh, release notes there are only 238 pages oh again <laughs> so enjoy your read yeah okay so if we try to go back to develop for crm then do you call this devops or or do crm even have operations well uh, not operations as in finance and operations that's not what we're talking about but yeah i know devops is a word that's been misused it's regularly misused to People tend to think that as soon as you have an automated build pipeline, then that's DevOps. It's not. It involves the operations part, which means actually delivering to the to the operations, uh, making sure that the end users can use it. And 
well, what we've been talking about now is not really DevOps in that sense, but it sure is an enabler for it because you have the possibility of, as you can automate things, the delivery process is so much faster. It's uh, so much uh, safer, actually, since you have uh, automated all this that we talked about in the beginning with plug-in step registrations and web resources. Everything is done in a controllable and repeatable way. So you know that the, the deliverable, the artifact that you're delivering, will look the same. Well, it's updated from last version, but it will look the same. It's built in the same manner. And uh, you can get it to production environment, to the end users, to the operations in a much uh, faster and easier way. So in that sense, it's a DevOps enabler uh, to have the technical tools behind it. But of course, you need to have the organization behind it as well. And that's where the ops part come in. All right. So if I want to know more and I want to go look for this on, online, where, where can I go? Um, well, if you want to start with these technical parts uh, to implement your build pipeline, go to the marketplace, Visual Studio Marketplace. I think it's marketplace.visualstudio.com. And uh, you can browse for different extensions there. You have the extensions for Visual Studio where you get uh, sort of the build publish uh, features inside Visual Studio. And you also have for VSTS uh, build and release uh, this uh, Will Hamsey and InnoFactor DevOps uh, that, you can, that you can use to complete your build pipeline, not just compiling the code, but also creating the artifacts containing our solutions and the data. Uh, you need, that, that's a good start uh, to, to work with. And of course, I mean, XRM Toolbox Web Resource Manager all of those parts. One thing we didn't mention, I will put it in here, you know, uh, is an excellent tool that I'm using to save me clicks in XRM Toolbox. It's a plugin auto deployer, which does just that. It automatically deploys plugins. So you tell it to listen to a DLL file on disk, and uh, that should be an assembly that's already registered in the target CRM organization. And as soon as you hit F6 in Visual Studio, the file is updated, the auto deployer will detect that and update it in CRM. So just press F6 and then you can within seconds and within zero clicks uh, actually test the functionality in the development environment. That's a very handy little tool among a lot of others in XRM Toolbox, of course. Yeah, that's nifty. So, I mean, you build it, it gets, yeah, the local file is changed and then that's uploaded. Yeah, Good it's a very simple idea, but oh, how many clicks. I did thousands of clicks it saved me during the years. <laughs> I haven't checked that out, but I will definitely do that. And I will be sure to try to add, add everything that you've mentioned here to add that to the show notes so people can go look for it there and, and find all the links. Mm. So where are you are going to be next? Do you have any public speaking or anything like that lined up? Uh, well, actually, yes. Next week, there's a virtual summer camp uh, that's uh, hosted by the D365 user group. And... Uh, it was quite funny. I heard uh, Sean Tabor and uh, Sarah Critchley on the bus in Seattle uh, during MVP Summit. They came up with this idea that we should do something fun in summer. So they came up with this virtual summer camp. And um, there's three days. I think it's 7th to 9th of August uh, that there, it's packed with sessions on uh, primarily focusing on uh, the service parts of CRM, uh, field service, project service, customer service. And uh, I'm doing a sort of crossover session there on a Wednesday about a few tips and tricks on uh, how to investigate data, 
in CRM and update your views to make them actually usable. Uh, that's my next thing after that. Uh, well, I think I will try to focus on my new job that I have. All right. Do you have any links to self-promotion, like uh, your homepage or anything like that, your Twitter yeah, handle? Twitter handle, Rappen. And for everyone who thinks that's strange, your name, last name is Rapp. Yes, it is, but it's like the rap in Swedish. Um, so Twitter is rap, and I have my blog on jonasrap.net. And uh, well, from there, you can basically find anything you need. Thank you, Jonas, for your participation in CRM Rocks. Thank you, Marcus. It's, it's been fun. And thanks to you listening. And don't forget that you can comment on crmrocks.com or just say it through it, you know, or just search for it in your favorite podcasting app, and you will find it right there. See you next time on CRM Rocks. Bye-bye.